This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're continuing today with our expectations series, having a lot of fun with these, a lot of different analysts coming on today. And one of my favorite people to talk football with of all, Michael Crawford is on to do today's show. Michael, how are you doing? Been forever since it seems like we've done a show. Yeah, I'm doing good, Ken. Doing really good. Uh, it's always fun to come on and, and talk Ravens football with you. We always end up having great conversation, and uh, I don't think today is going to be any different. So uh, I, I'm excited. I've, I've kind of been tapping in to a couple of these, listening to a couple of the, the other uh, in the other shows in this series, and um, they've been very interesting. And I can hear the passion people have in their voices uh, mm-hmm. about the players they're discussing. <laughs> It's it's kind of exciting because people get to pick their own players and their own you know pair of two. In the end, I you know we had a few we had some some pairings left. And I had to hand those out, but the initial ones they're all picking them and and you know people want to talk about Zacoby McLean, uh, you know, or uh, or uh, uh, Mackay Polk. Yeah, you know, this is some some players that you well, if that person's passionate about that, that's the person I want discussing it. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about J.K. Dobbins and Malik Harris and two different players. And I, I want to remind people the format of this show is to get two disparate players. We're not looking for the same positional group. We're looking to have as many analysts as possible uh, talk about their players within 
that positional group. And later on, we'll have the how are the Ravens set up at running back or inside linebacker. Those shows will be coming along uh, either right before camp or towards the end of camp. So uh, lots of fun still to be had. But these are just individual expectation pieces that are more focused on the individual player. So we'll start with J.K. Dobbins here, Michael. Uh, Why don't you start us off in terms of who Dobbins was when he last played and, uh, you know, kind of what some of your goals are for him in 2022. Well, I think when we saw him back in 2020, um, you kind of still had that uh, three-headed monster in the backfield in terms of Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, and and J.K., who had just been drafted, you know, that previous draft. And they sort of slowly incorporated him into the offense the early part of the season there. You know, he probably had a couple of games um, – I want to say that first five or six games, they were all under like 10 attempts, you know, like 10 or less. Um, But even in those games where he only had a handful of carries, you would see some explosive plays, right? You saw his ability to take, um, you know, what looked like a a run that maybe was going to get you five, maybe even 10, which is still a really good run, but then turn it into like a 20 yard, you know, or, or a longer Mm -hmm. run, that kind of thing. So I think um, you look at that year, you know, and then kind of in the, the latter half of the season, his activity level increased and you started to see him get, you know, double digit carry games and maybe even get a couple passes out of the backfield. And it was just like the you wanted him to touch the ball more. right? You wanted them to find as many ways as they could to get him to touch the ball because you just saw this home run ability every time he had the ball in the hands. That, when I say home run, it doesn't necessarily mean a touchdown, but a big play. Right. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it turned out to be a touchdown nine times on the ground, right, in terms of rushing touchdowns. Yeah. So, uh, that was in there, too. But just, you know, a guy who really had that big play ability, and it was a combination of of skills, right? It wasn't just speed. It wasn't just burst. It was contact balance. It was the ability to run through contact and break tackles. Uh, it was the ability to create after uh, the catch, you know, if he if he was catching, you know, kind of a short short thing out of the back out of the backfield there, like a little swing or out to the flat, to be able to make guys miss in the open field. Same thing with the ball in his hands uh, as a you know as a ball carrier, uh, being able to make guys miss. So all of those skills kind of baked into one J.K. Dobbins cake gave us a really exciting glimpse of you know what he brought to the run game. And then going into 2021, we're all excited. It's going to be even more than that. They're going to use him more in the passing game. And unfortunately, he has the injury in the preseason game. And, uh, you know, we lost that season. So really excited to to get him back healthy and just kind of see him continue on the trajectory that we saw back in 2020. Uh, just a, a real bummer, obviously, to, to, to lose him. That 2020 season never had over 15 carries in any game the whole year. Yet you still had 200 carry games, rushed for 6.0 yards per carry. He'll probably never do that again. And yet you, you hope that uh, some of the circumstances are back for this offensive line that could give him a lot of first contact in level two and level three that he can uh, leverage into some great home run balls. And I, you know, I, I think one of the exciting things, there's, there's lots of questions about Tyler Linderbaum, but one thing I don't have a question about is his ability to get to level two and make blocks. And I think that that'll really help uh, several of the runners when they run power schemes where they've got a double team starting and Linderbaum's going to level two to make that second block. That's going to be one of the areas he's really good. Another area is, uh, you know, leading a screen pass. You don't really need three great screen blockers out of the middle of your line of scrimmage. And the Ravens have a bunch of elephants otherwise on the, on the offensive line. So it, it, it you know, it, Linderbaum's going to be leading the pack. And, but I think with, with Dobbins and, and 
Beatty both being somewhat elusive players after the catch, that a single extra block in level two from Linderbaum would be very valuable to either of them. Yeah, and as you said, based on what we've seen from him in college at Iowa, he really excels mm-hmm. in that area. I mean, he's going to mm-hmm. be able to get out. He's going to be able to get downfield. He's going to be able to get to blocks and get to players at level two and even further down the field yeah. that we probably haven't seen here in a while. I mean, you might be able to, to recall some Raven centers of the past, but I mean, during the Lamar Jackson era, we haven't really seen them have a guy who can who can move that way. Yeah, the, the line has been built around elephants for a long time. I mean, even when the interior offensive line was the best in the NFL by a wide margin with Grubbs, Yanda, and Burke all together in, in, for that period that they were, um, you know, they, they were slower uh, players who who were, were never really quick guys. You know, they've been perfectly happy to have some slower guards on this team for a long time, guys who could still get the job done as pullers, but, you know, just weren't exceptionally quick, but... Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's been a long time since the Ravens have had that kind of quickness, and uh, it'll be exciting to see. Let's go back to Dobbins here. In terms of individual things, so the one thing about 2020 is kind of kind of frustrating with Dobbins is that while he had that great year, he kind of had his very worst game in the last game of the season against Buffalo. Uh, dropped a couple balls. Um, you know, made it was involved in the blocking miscommunication that led to the pressure on the interception. Uh, that got run back. So there, there were a couple of things in that game. And I, my understanding was Dobbins uh, was was kind of really upset with himself after the game. And one of the veterans went over to him and told him, you know, don't worry about it. Just, you know, come back and get it done next next year. But he didn't get that chance. And now it's been a year and a half. Yeah, he, he came across in interviews and the things that you heard teammates say about him or coaches as a guy who held himself to an incredibly high standard. I mean, even for a rookie. Like his mindset was, hey, in those moments, and I think that's why he was particularly disappointed, in the biggest moments, I expect to make those plays. I see myself, it's not about being a rookie and I need time to learn. No, I should be making those plays right now, whatever, you know, my my status is in the league. And like you said, you know, he was involved in a, in a couple of plays there where um, by his own admission, you know, he, he, he didn't execute as well as he should have. So, uh, but I think the good thing about that is he also seems like a guy who's not going to go in the tank perpetually. You know, it's not like a demon that's going to stay with him forever. I, I hope not. Yeah. I don't. I, I want to respond to what you just said, though, because I think that is such the preferable adult attitude for any athlete to have, to hold themselves to a very high standard. That's what I think drives Lamar Jackson to get the positional coaching he does during the offseason. I think, you know, the really peop- the, the players you can count on to be ready as soon as camp starts, not work themselves into shape, not not the other things. They, they're the guys who hold themselves to that super high standard. I'm glad to hear Dobbins is that guy. I, I, I look and I, my ears perk up immediately when I hear self-congratulatory um, components of players. It's like, oh, I tied my shoes today. You know, and I, I, it used to be this old Jimmy Farr commercial where he ate a Mars bar because he tied his shoes. <laughs> it's like it's like, well, you know, that's so what it is. Anyway. But uh, but that's kind of what it sounds like to me when it, when I hear that kind of thing. And, and Dobbins being very hard on himself and, and, and very demanding of his own uh, way is 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 an indication of work ethic and an indication of a, a guy who's going to be ready. Yeah, and you see that with a lot of the well, a lot. Let me make sure I use the correct word. You see that with some of their core guys on offense. You mentioned mm-hmm. Lamar. We're talking about Dobbins, Mark Andrews. Another mm-hmm. guy who's like that, who's, you know, it's almost like at any time I have an opportunity to work 
whether it's in a team setting, whether it's off on my own with, you know, private coaching or in Mark's case, his family, like whoever, whatever the situation mm-hmm. is, when I have an opportunity to try to work and improve and get better, I'm going to do it. You know, uh, I think you see that in Marlon Humphrey, too. So I think, you know, they, they've got a, a core group of guys on offense and defense who seems to have always carried themselves that way. They came into the organization that way. Mm-hmm. Not something they had to grow into. They came with that. And it's also great that Lamar is a North star for this team in terms of how you act during the offseason, in terms of, of uh, keeping getting yourself ready and keeping ready. I, I, one thing I was so impressed by, and I've mentioned this already on one other pod, but I'm going to risk it a second time, is that I think it was Bateman I saw who was um, running routes with Lamar, and Lamar was just throwing, getting his timing down, you know, get, getting the, the getting the uh, uh, the depth of the throw, engaging that properly. But Bateman was wearing a helmet, and that tells me right away he's taking that more seriously because he wants to replicate game conditions in terms of vision, in terms of you know getting used to catching the ball over either shoulder with the helmet, that sort of thing. Very impressed by that. Yeah, he's another guy. I'm glad you mentioned it. He's another guy mm-hmm. that seems to have come in with that same mindset and holding himself to that same standard. And look, you you get enough of those guys together on a team and it it you know, it's contagious. You know, that attitude becomes contagious. Well, it either becomes contagious or you won't be here. If yeah, there you go. <laughs> if you don't adapt that same attitude, or maybe you're here and you you don't play as much, you know, whatever the case may be. But um, I, I think that kind of thing, especially from the leaders on the team, is really exactly what you want. You know, you hit on that point. That's exactly what you want out of these guys. And so Dobbins is, you know, bringing it back to Dobbins. Dobbins is one of those guys, in my opinion. I think he came in that way even as a rookie. Um, I think you'll get to see that again this year, you know, when he's, he's you know, sort of back around the team and, um, sort of working with the team on a regular basis. It's a little bit different when guys are coming back and they're kind of off to the side and doing some individual stuff. But once they're back ingratiated into the team periods and, and really you know, incorporated, I should say, um, into those team periods, then I think you start to see them feel like, okay, I'm, I'm back a part of the team again. I mean, they're always a part, but you always hear these guys talk about when they get injured, like you kind of feel like you're not a part of the team while you're injured right. and you're working your way back. So I think once he's able to kind of really participate fully in practice again, and then obviously in the games, you'll see that leadership and, and you'll see that performance, which is you know really what we're talking about today, uh, come back. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk some goals for 2022. I, I'll, I'll start us off for one. Maybe we just alternate here. Um, I, you know, I hope he is returning to an offensive line, which is again, built to run the football effectively, uh, barring injuries, you know, the, obviously the biggest thing involving the Ravens offensive line among all things more important than Linderbaum more important than how Fa'alele develops is is what's actually going on with Ronnie Stanley so if if that returns to normal uh if if he's you know playing the way he was this should be a team that's built to run the football very effectively uh, I think they have the speed weapons back that they didn't have last year to threaten the outside and uh, in terms of Dobbins I'm hoping that he, he makes the most out of level two and level three first contact opportunities. That's really where he's best. Gus Edwards can, um, you know, you know, gets a lot of yards after contact, including some at level one. But uh, but in in terms of Dobbins, really need to get him uh, through some open holes and get a chance to make a guy miss in level two or level three, or to deflect contact, as you mentioned, with that great contact balance. Yeah, I you know his his rookie season. When you think back and you know, even if you just look at numbers, you know, for people who just kind of want to look at that that part of it, um, and these might be a little bit off because they don't account for penalties and stuff like that. But I mean, 134 carries, 805 yards, nine TDs as a rookie in, um, you know, a committee backfield 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. So for me, going into 2021, I'm thinking, okay, this guy's going to run for a thousand. You know, as as my baseline, I'm setting a thousand mm-hmm. yards as my baseline. I kind of now go into 2022 expecting the same thing. But again, like you said, there's big, there's there's sort of some 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 qualifications, things that have to happen first. You're expecting the offensive line, particularly Ronnie Stanley, as you mentioned, to get back to form. And you're also expecting Dobbins to get back to form. Sure. It's, it's probably unfair of me to say, well, he was going to go into 2021 at this level. I expect him to do the same thing. And Well, he's coming <laughs> off a major injury. So it's probably unfair of me to expect that. But if he is fully recovered and guys tend to recover from these things, you know, amazingly uh, in, this, mm-hmm. in this day and age. So if that's there, then yeah, I expect him to be able to do all of those things and then more because think again, his rookie season, that's all learning. He's seen this at the NFL level for the first time, right? <laughs> and so now he's got that season under his belt. Yes, he missed last year, but you know, I, I'd imagine that he's still involved at least in terms of meetings and that kind of thing. So there's still a mental component going on there. And so now you've got that coming in to this 2022 season. And again, like I said, if you're fully healthy, now you've got that experience to add to your physical, your natural physical gifts and abilities. And I really expect him to uh, to do extremely well. All right. Give us another goal for you for, for 2022 for him. I think I'm probably going to go in the receiving area because I know that was something that they mm-hmm. really kind of talked a lot going into 2021 during the preseason. They wanted to have him be a bigger part of the passing game. So I don't know if under Greg Roman's offense, you're going to have a ton of like splitting guys out and guys running like receiver type routes. I mean, you have a little bit of that for sure. They motion guys out uh, from time to time, but I think a lot of it kind of comes out of the backfield, but you know, if he can be a 30, 40 catch guy, you know, maybe pick you up three, 400 yards, maybe a couple of touchdowns, um, you know, as a receiver, and that might be ambitious. Those are probably pretty ambitious numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you could add that, then you're talking about one of the top running backs in the game. I mean, not just as a runner, but also as a pass catcher. I, I'm, I'm trying to stay away from specific numbers predictions and stay with qualitative. And one of the reasons is the Ravens offense, there are so many different people sucking at various nipples for opportunity here that there's not enough ball, there's not enough footballs to go around. I mean, they just aren't. So some receivers are going to come in way under targeted. And it's not just necessarily because of injuries. And in Dobbins case, he may be one of them in terms of the thing. He did not have a particularly good rookie year as a receiver. And I just want to point this out that um, whether you look at PFR, PFF, he either had 24 or 25 targets, 18 receptions, and he had six drops. And that is not going to get it done. So his yards per target, way down there at five yards per target. You don't want that, even from a running back, that's really not acceptable. Um, he, he needs to, it, cutting down the drops would would be a lot, would fix a lot of it. That would get him up in about the 6.7 range again. But that, even that is not really great. So, you know, I, I'm hoping Linderbaum helps him just the way I expect him to help Beatty as well in terms of making that extra level two or level three block for him that's going to help him uh, break a play or two. I'm also hoping they, they'll use him some down the field. You know, hey, Dobbins is a guy who can run an effective wheel route, and you don't always expect that. And when you've got that coverage, you know, from a linebacker, that's an opportunity, and and you got to take that some. Uh, you also, if, if, if we're back to an offense where – we're not threatening the outside of the field the same way the Ravens have in past years. Um, that's one way to do it. So it's it's a uh, you know a, a good way to just stretch the defense in a different way. Uh, see if you can get them to make some mistakes. 
Yeah, and I could maybe see him. I mean, these guys were at totally different points in their careers, but um, maybe something along the lines of Mark Ingram uh, in terms of his effect in the passing game. Um, obviously, in 2020, with the rise of, of of JK in terms of playing time, you know, Mark kind of receded a little bit. But if you go back to 2019, um, not like he caught a ton of balls or anything like that. But, you know, if you see something along that spectrum, just a guy who can be not only an effective check down option, but can get out and can run a route down the field. I don't think they did it a ton with with uh, Mark Ingram that year. I mean, I can re- picture a couple of passes, that kind of little angle route out of the backfield where you start out headed towards the sideline at 45 degrees, mm-hmm. break back in. Uh, I think he had maybe one down the side. I, I really remember that one because I think it was against Arizona. We had one down the sideline. It was about a 20-yard catch. It was one of those hole shots in cover two where you have to get it behind the corner and in front of the safety to that side of the field. So maybe some of that. Hey, this is now this is interesting because Mark Ingram came to Baltimore in 2019 and he had a terrible career with the Saints at 5.6 yards per target, had never been over 6.8 his entire career. 2019, 8.5 wow. with Jackson. So he he did he made some good plays down the field. I think some of what happened with Jackson is since they they don't really run the offense the same way the Ravens did with Flacco. Okay, that's that's obvious. But Flacco always had Ray Rice as a check down. And Ray Rice, in fact, one year had more yak than receiving yards, which means his average A dot was negative. Yeah. Was in that was was behind the line of scrimmage. So you know, the, the Ravens don't have a you know normal outlet receiving back the same way because they like to keep the underneath clear for potential Jackson um scrambles. If they if they get that opportunity, so uh, he's kind of the check down receiver that they that they have. Uh, so anyway, I, that, that creates some longer shots, and and you know, J.K. just didn't he didn't get a lot of them. Gus Edwards actually did better on on some longer passes this uh, uh, in twenty uh, than he did. He did. Yeah, Gus had, right. had one long one, I remember, like against the Giants or something, like way down the field. D- down the middle of the field, like over thirty yeah. yards or so, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I'll, I'll toss in another one. I had improve as a receiver too. That was important to me, but, but I wanted to see him running the stretch and, and, and cut back effectively when they're, when they're doing zone runs, the the Ravens need that back as part of the offense, the elder statesman last year. Um, they couldn't really do any, either of these, they were pretty much specifically power runners. And I, I defer to your uh, run game charting on this, but the, the very limited amount that the Ravens even ran off tackle was pretty tight to the tackle, like C gap runs with uh, Freeman, really more than than anything else. But but you tell me, I know you chart all these plays. What did you see? Did they, did, how how much was the Ravens' amount of stretch runs reduced by uh, who they had last year? Yeah, I would have to pull the charting up to get like specific numbers, but you know, anecdotally, no, you're right. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that was obvious. I mean, I think even people just watching the games could, could, could attest to that. And the, the, you know, the, the charting that idea really kind of backed that up. I think as they were trying to learn what they had with this collection of veteran running backs, it became pretty apparent that Freeman was the only one who gave you even a little bit of an opportunity to get to the perimeter. Right. Um, the Lev Bell experiment just by and large didn't work. Uh, mm-hmm. Latavius Murray was pretty much a, you know, a, I, I won't limit him to, I should limit him to A-gap to A-gap. I'll give him B-gap to B-gap. Uh-huh. <laughs> pretty much an interior from, a you know, guard to guard kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And Freeman, to some extent, I think what Freeman had that those other guys didn't have was a little bit more wiggle, a little bit more make you miss, 
So if he did get to the perimeter, it's not like he was necessarily going to turn the corner and beat you with speed, but he might be able to make a cut. He might be able to run through some contact and kind of get the corner that way and get the edge. But just by design, no, those plays just weren't nearly as successful. And, and the volume wasn't there either, just in terms of calling uh, the same amount of plays in terms of, of volume that were designed to attack the C gap and designed to attack the edge. Because I think they, they, you know, I mean, look, we watched, <laughs> we watched the games, they watched the film, they know more football than we'll ever could ever possibly hope to know. And I think they said, Hey, well, what we've got, we're going to have to adjust that. We're, we just right. don't have the ball carriers who can attack that part of the field in the same way. And I think that's why some people were like clamoring for Duvernay to get more like jet sweeps or more, you know, kind of right. quick bubbles and stuff like that. Just different ways to attack the perimeter since you knew um, or you had accepted the fact that we really can't do it with our ball carriers. Yeah, I was kind of hoping that, that Duvernay would be used out of sidecar because he was the one guy who really had the speed. I thought and they did use him in that way for one carry. Bit. Okay, and Very and I don't I don't I don't know if there were mesh point concerns with him or whatever because you know when you're desperate all options are on the table and it wasn't like they were using Duvernay to do so much else within the offense especially especially in terms of targets that 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 would have been an unreasonable use of him for five six carries a game. Yeah, that's true. That was that was a tricky one for me to figure out. I probably was a little bit more in the minority in terms of how much they should have done that with him, but I still wanted them to do it more than they did. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you can, you can get into, you can pick nits about, well, should you've gotten, you know, five of those carries or three of those guys. I don't want to get into all of that. Mm-hmm. Just conceptually, I agreed that, Hey, let's use a guy who not only has the speed, but really kind of has the running style to execute some of those concepts. I mean, he's, he's sort of built like a running back just in terms of body type. And he has that very linear north-south kind of style, but he's also got the speed to outrun guys laterally, you know? So mm-hmm. you're thinking, all right, he's going to be able to get the edge against pretty much anybody unless they already have him out-leveraged, you know? And there's maybe another, you know, sometimes like what they do with Lamar, right? They've got, they've got like two guys out there to try to get him uh, from getting in the corner. So unless you have that, and so maybe they felt like um, the threat wasn't there per se. Uh, you know, I'd have to go back and look at those games to say, okay, well, why wouldn't we even try it more? Were defenses playing? Or threaten it more? Way? Yeah. What, or were, you, were defenses playing you in such a way where you felt like you couldn't, you never got the look you wanted to run those plays? Because like you said, they they did some of those things. If it wasn't necessarily a handoff, there were bubble screens and quick screens and things like, which is just an extension of the run game. It's it's, it's not really a pass. I mean, it, technically it's a pass, but it's an extension of the run game. But I, I, mean, I thought they could even it, done those more. They used him a fair amount in jet motion, yeah. but what, what, you know, it would be one thing if they motioned out of the look because they didn't get the look defensively that they were going for. So if they line him up in sidecar coming to the line of scrimmage and then, you know, check, check, and, he, and he's all of a sudden he's off in the slot, but they didn't do that. I mean, you know, it, 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 they never really gave him that chance to line up in the backfield. Anyway, enough about Duvernay. Let's get back to Dobbins here for a second. Um, another thing on my list is that the pass blocking um, I want to see not progress is not the right world. I want to see him be at least as good as he was as a pass blocker in 2020. That may surprise some people because you know, the season ended how it did. Um, I think there is a limit to how much he can give you in that role. And if he can give you a, a slightly above average level of play as a pass blocker, uh, where he then is also a guy who can release late, I think that could be very valuable to Lamar. Yeah. What's interesting about that Bills play, I only, only I don't want to like totally derail us with it, but it's just because mm-hmm. I remember really digging into it because 
of course, people were losing their minds about that. If you look, I want to say it was as as little as two plays before. He had that exact same block, that exact same concept where he's executing a fake and then he's blocking the defensive end and executed it perfectly. Now, mm-hmm. a couple things that were different, different guy. It wasn't Jerry Hughes on that pre on the two plays before. <laughs> it, was, it was a guy who wasn't quite as athletic. And so, you know, he's uh, attempting to cut that guy. Right. And give, you know, Lamar uh, an opportunity to make a throw. He tried to cut. Jerry Hughes and Jerry Hughes danced around him. Uh, he's a much more athletic mm-hmm. guy. And I think there was also a different alignment look that the Bills used on the play where, you know, the block wasn't executed. I think there were two guys outside the tackle instead of one guy kind of on the edge of the tackle. So there was a couple different things that went into that, but he wouldn't make that excuse, right? He mm-hmm. would say, Hey, I got to make that block. I'm supposed to make that block in that situation. So, you know, for me, that's kind of how I feel about the pass pro with him. I think it sounds like you, you sort of, see it similarly to me like the the willingness is not an issue and the Mm -hmm. ability is not an issue right but i think the so there's two parts to it i think willingness and ability can be an issue for running backs coming into the nfl with pass pro depends on the player of course uh so that can be one part of the, the challenge the other part is knowing who to block that's typically the bigger one I think a lot of these guys do kind of have the willingness and the desire, although there are some you question it, but I think a lot of them have it. But knowing who to block in each situation and as that situation evolves, right? Because you may know it up on the board statically during the week, but then you get in the game and the pieces are moving. And it's like, all right, I was supposed to block that guy, but now that they've moved, who do I block now? Yeah, and, and and that that recognition affects where he takes his set, and I mean it affects everything. He's got to be quick making that making that recognition to get up to a point where he actually makes a useful block. And and one one thing you you notice is kind of a common trait in bad pass blocking running backs is that they wait too long or they they diagnose too late, and then they block you know of two foot two feet in front of the quarterback. I mean the, the cone has already been compromised. You know, that quarterback's got to move to throw. You know, he, he can't step into his throw. All the, all the bad things you don't want. Um, and, and you know, it, it is difficult. I mean, hey, what, you know, blocking as a running back is complex. It's like it's, a, it's it's at least as complex, I think, as blocking at center where you have to try and pick up that stunt or that second guy coming through, you know, off of your double team and make maybe a difficult reach for yourself. I think as a running back, you know, you've got – you got what 180 degrees you got to be looking for for almost that you got to be looking for a, a potential pass rusher absolutely and this i i think it's a pretty high standard even though the guy when he was here he didn't play that many actual snaps but danny woodhead is kind of the guy that i look for like mm-hmm. running back <laughs> one series yeah yeah because even though even though and you can you know so you can look beyond the ravens if you want to look at the other places that he'd sure. been in his career you saw that as a consistent thing. Not the biggest guy by any stretch of the imagination, but he knew who to block. And I think that really helped him become an effective pass blocker because he could get there and get into position quickly, right? Before the defender really had a chance to take advantage of the mismatch, because oftentimes it was a physical mismatch. But Danny knew who Danny knew who to block and where to block. And I think he was really effective because of it. Important part of positional coaching for running backs and something they should be looking at is, look, hey, if I'm a good pass blocker, that immediately is going to increase my re- receiving opportunities and the money I'm going to make in this game. I mean, it's it's so central. Uh, those The other thing we, we, you know, we've seen in the NFL for years, and this goes back to, to my youth in the 70s and whatnot, guys would hang around the NFL for 
seems like an extra decade sometimes. It's not quite that long, obviously, as running backs because they could catch the football and pass block effectively. So you had all these, you know, Larry Centers and Don McCauley was one of these for the Colts and all these guys who who basically were third down specialists. And, uh, you know, you brought them in because they, they understood their responsibilities there and, the, and, and they could also catch the football a little bit. We heard Greg Roman comment on this in that Ravens Wired piece about the rookie minicamp. He's talking to Tyler Batty and he says, hey, uh, can you can you has your pass pro? And he's like, oh, it's good. I'm good. He's like, yeah, because we can't put you on the field and you not know who to block and you get our quarterback you. So <laughs> it, it there you go. <laughs> All right. Give me one more goal for Dobbins for this year. Well, let's see. We, we talked about some things as a runner. We talked about pass pro, talked about some things as a receiver. Um, I mean, I, I guess this is sort of an intangible, but because we've kind of touched on it throughout all of these different segments of his game, kind of answering that bell in those big moments, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, People call it different things, clutch, grit, you know, whatever you want to call it, but kind of answer, you know, you, you want to be that player. You say you want to be that player. You expect yourself to be that player. Okay. In those moments, be that player. I need you to be that player and to be able to do it consistently. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect every time. Um, you know, mistakes happen. These guys are humans, obviously, but in those big moments when they need that play to be made, whether it's a block, whether it's the catch, whether it's a run, whatever it is, you know, let I, I need you to be that guy and not almost be that. I heard a coach talk about that before. He said, look, we want and guys, not but guys, right? I want <laughs> and can run a guy over or make a guy miss. I don't want the guy who makes the catch, but he fumbled it. He got stripped. Yeah. I don't need butt guys. I need and. <laughs> I love that. It's just like improv, you know, it's, it's a good way to put it. Uh, uh, I would like to see a little bit of a connection with Lamar in terms of extended plays. I, and by that, I mean that Dobbins is a guy who figures out how to go to not the place you go by rule under those situations. So Andrews and Lamar hive mind on that. Uh, but, but Dobbins could be a guy who who finds space in the middle of the field, even though Lamar is rolling right, and all the rules of football tell you don't throw back about across your body. Well, those rules don't apply, Lamar, and he he needs to find space for a receiver somewhere because he have the gravitational effect he has on all the other eleven defenders. So we've seen him make play after play back to the middle of the field, uh, deep, but they all, they usually go. Uh, uh, away from the normal rules of this guy goes immediately to the sideline at 10 yards and this guy comes back to the quarterback as close as possible and this guy goes deeper down that right sideline. But you don't want everybody gravitating to the right sideline just because Lamar's ro- rolling in that direction. Absolutely not. I would love to see that. I don't know how you replicate the kind of chemistry or yeah. whatever word you to describe <laughs> that he has with Andrews because both of them do not operate within convention. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm sure they're coached to do certain things and they do those things. I'm not going to say they never, you know, adhere to coaching, but when you have to improv, when you have to improvise, when the play breaks down, there's something about those two. And I guess they see the field the same way. They see defenses the same way. I don't know what it is, but the way that they improv, they're in sync. Whereas everybody else, like you said, they're kind of, okay, well, here's the scramble rule. I go here. And then the guy mm-hmm. above me, he's going to go here. Andrews is doing whatever the hell he wants. And it happens to be on the same page. And, and you know, I say that people are like, well, no, how can these guys just do whatever they want? Hey, listen to the defenders. Listen to Chuck Clark. Chuck Clark talked about this as a, pre- a during a press conference. They asked him what he thought made Mark Andrews so good. He's like, he can do whatever he wants. And they started laughing. He's like, no, literally, he can do whatever he wants. He have to stay within the route that is gone. 
<laughs> it's like that's all I'm going to say about it. So, and you can see that on the field. And I think when people talk about their spacing issues, I, I think that's some component of it is Mark has the green light to kind of go where he thinks he needs to go to get open. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's going to be great and it's going to lead to explosive plays. And you never, ever want to out you never want to coach that out of him for mm-hmm. the, you know, to try to offset the times where guys kind of get in the same area and it looks like a cluster, you know what? I'll take those. I will absolutely Just- take those. It'd be like trying to coach Ed Reed not to gamble or try to coach Marcus Peters in today's game not not to gamble. I mean, that's that'd be ridiculous. You know, the, the guy understands the game and space and whatnot and, in, in a way that, you know, is you, you you can't coach. I mean, you just cannot coach it, it you know, as nearly as well as he can uh, do it in terms of, of what he does. Boy, I, I, you know, a lot was made of that you know, years ago in terms of how baseball players would take their stances. And Cal Ripken just would change his stance seemingly every week in terms of, of, of how he's doing things. Rod Carew did whatever was comfortable at the time, moved his stance around. And I'm not saying those two hitters are equivalent or anything, but but I'm saying, you know, when you have a good hitter, just let them, let them do their thing and, and, and they'll figure it out on their own. Absolutely. Those ability, <laughs> ability stance, whatever you're <laughs> able to do in terms of getting into a stance or ex- as long as you can execute what needs to be executed, then get into whatever you need to get into. Uh, I, I, we have the segment now where we go to talk about what would be a good year and what would be a great year. And, and I'm going to go ahead and start it here and I'll, uh, you tack on, change it, do whatever you want. Here's my good year for JK Dobbins. I want him to return healthy no later than week four. Now there is always a possibility he's not going to be back. And, and I would include in that the possibility of his play time being ramped up until week four. It's kind of at a normal level. Uh, so that would be included in that um, and approaches his 2020 rate stats. I don't believe he'll ever run for 6.0 yards per carry again, but I also don't believe he'll ever be at 5.0 yards per target again. So I expect that to improve. So overall, I, I want his rate stats uh, to be similar. Uh, I want him to make noticeable contributions as a receiver, uh, despite the fact the role is, is shared multiple ways uh, as a runner as well. Um, and and I, I, I want him... I would want to know that his own um, play style has not been compromised by the injury such that he can still threaten the outside. So the Ravens, again, stress defenses horizontally in the way that it was most successful in 19 and 20. Yeah, I can't add anything to that. Uh, that that's exactly, <laughs> uh, the kind of year that I, I would love to see. Is that is that have I been too tough on him for a good year? Or, or is most of that a great year? Because I'm going to tell you what I want in terms of a great year here, and that's going to be even more. No, no, I don't think so, because I, I got to imagine the great year uh, is going to exceed all of those areas. <laughs> it's going to exceed some. I'm going to say he starts the season healthy and essentially loses nothing from his 2020 season. A little less yards per carry, I am expecting, but uh, better yards per target. And his play demands a bigger share of the snaps than the others. I don't think that's a given now. I think they, you know, they they probably want to use Gus Edwards as as the power back. They probably want to use Beatty as a receiving back. And if Dobbins immediately says, "Well, wait a minute, hold on there, folks. I'm going to start getting 50% of the carries, and I'm going to start getting, you know, 50% of the receiving targets for running backs," um, then I think that would be also probably a good thing. I mean, we won't see nothing from those other players, uh, but but uh, Dobbins is the one with the physical tools probably to do the most in that role. Um, uh, not necessarily more than Beatty, but 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 probably more than Gus as a receiver if if he really turns it on properly. Yeah, I mean, I would qualify that as a great year, and that's that's what you would want him to do, though. You would want him to 
make the kind of plays with the ball in his hands, whether that is taking a handoff, whether that is catching the ball out of the backfield or down the field, where he demands that percentage of the work. It's like he's mm-hmm. making so many plays. We we can't, you know, <laughs> reduce him, you know, and his opportunities to touch the ball. If anything, we want to give him more, right? That's, you know, coaches always talk about good problems. That's a good problem to have. You've got these other talented players in Gus Edwards and Beatty or whoever else they may have, you know, in, in the backfield. But, you know, Dobbins is playing at such a high level that he demands the lion's share of the touches in that group. So you'd love to have that problem. And to me, if that's happening, then he is making those kinds of plays, and that is a great All right, so Dobbins had 134 carries in his rookie season. I, I don't like to do the numbers again, but what is a great share for him in terms of the number of carries he would get, say, this year? Oh, well, let's see. Back then in 2020, what did he probably have? Now, I got the first half of the year, we might not want to use that because that's skewed, obviously. Mm-hmm. But the second half of the year, when maybe he was getting 12, 13, 14 carries, he was probably still, what, 30% of the touches, maybe? 30, 40? Um, might have been might have been higher than that. Might might have been only that. I, I'd have to go back, honestly. I, I think um, 50. When you threw out that 50% number, anywhere in that that 45 to 50 plus, I mean, if you get up to 60, I, I, I don't know that that's the way that they necessarily want, you know, their, their, their running back uh, dispersal to happen. I think they want to have different mm-hmm. guys involved, but you know, 50% would be to me, that would be a clear indication that he's playing at a really high level. Yeah. All right. All right. Outstanding. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about Malik Harrison a little bit, a guy who we probably won't take 38 minutes to talk about here. We'll talk take a little bit less time, but it is Michael and me, and we love talking football, so you never know. Uh, Malik, I'm just going to talk a little bit about where he's coming from. He, he lost his second season a little bit. Uh, there may have been a doghouse component to that. The reason I say that is he only had one snap defensively after week seven, despite the fact that Bynes gave up rotational defensive series to both Welch and Joe, Tom, Joe Thomas. Thomas. Yeah. Uh, so that tells you something about what's going on because because Harrison's available. Yeah. Presumably he's still practicing as an inside linebacker, although there's talk about him playing on the outside and whatnot. He's certainly playing special teams, but he wasn't getting a shot at inside linebacker. Yeah, that was eye opening to me. I remember that game in particular, and I'm thinking, okay, there was speculation before, like, okay, maybe he's in the doghouse, or maybe it's this, maybe it's that. If you're getting uh, out, you know, Joe Thomas is getting snaps over you. Then you're not in a you're not in a good position. I mean, Christian Welch had kind of been mixing in a little bit before yep. that, I think. Um, so, so with that, you could you could make a case, right? You could you could rationalize it to yourself. Eh, maybe it's not a doghouse thing. But when it was Joe Thomas, it's like, okay, this guy's not going to see the field in terms of a defensive snap the rest of the season. He's only going to play mm-hmm. special teams, and that's what in, that's what ended up happening, uh, I believe, mm-hmm. after the bye week, right? I think when he he got shot over the bye week and some of it was related to that, you know, having to be healthy enough, you know, to, to practice in any capacity. And then Mm -hmm. I don't know that once he was, I don't know if he played another defensive snap. Played, played one defensive snap uh, after week seven. There you go. So yeah. uh, Well, whatever the reasoning was, and I I think we talked about this on a previous show where, you know, it was, it was the decision-making component in there. I don't know that he was necessarily doing anything specifically uh, that he shouldn't have been doing, but the reports, you know, he was at a club, a fight broke out in the club. They dispersed everybody out into the streets. He's hanging out in the streets with a group. Somebody starts shooting. He gets shot. 
And so it's one of those things that I think you talked about back during that show, like, hey, from a decision making standpoint, how about let's not be there? Let's yeah. not be in that situation. Right. Not, nobody's saying that you specifically did something that you shouldn't have done. But just from a maturity professionalism standpoint, maybe that's not a place you need to be. And um, go ahead. It's, this is one of these, these places where his response to it, I would guess, is very important to John Harbaugh based on what I've heard over the years about somebody coming off the field after a fumble, say. If he had come in and said, Coach, I made a, I made a huge mistake here. This will never happen again. Uh, I, 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 in terms of how I'm going to make changes to my life, I'm going to say I'm not hanging out with Y and Z because they always have their friends show up. I So they're out of my group of friends right now. And I can't go out clubbing um, other than maybe one night a week in a local place where everybody knows me, uh, I'm not doing any more of that during the season. Uh, I'm not. I'm not putting my teammates in this this kind of risk. If he had come with that kind of thing, his agent could have advised him on how to approach this. Uh, I think. I think the the uh, doghousing would either not have been as long or not have been at all. But if if he came in and said, "Oh crap, coach, you wouldn't believe the 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 turd who shot me over here," you know, he's. He's out there shooting. I'm minding my own business. I had nothing to do with this. I mean, as soon as he says that, Harbaugh should be incensed about, you know, the the, the notion of, of you know, you mean you take no responsibility for being there in a bad place where people might have guns? Uh, you know, it's, it's just it, it is he does have a, a level of culpability for what happened, whether or not he pulled the trigger or, you know, it's, it's a decision making problem. Yeah. And on top of that, to add to that, you've got that concern. And then, you know, quite, quite frankly, you, you're being outplayed on the field. I mean, Josh Bynes yeah. is, is, is outplaying you on the field because even when he was in there getting defensive snaps, uh, you know, he he was he was lost at times. He looked lost in there mm-hmm. at times. And uh, look, I understand he was going into his second year and we, we've been down this road with Patrick Queen. Same thing, kind of the early part of the season. The head was still spinning quite a bit and it looked that way mm-hmm. uh on, on a lot of plays and then as Vine started to play more um things started to settle down obviously Vines was going to make the plays um that he's always made but he had that settling effect um on Patrick Queen and I think also you know the just the strategic move of allowing Queen to play more on the weak side than than it might obviously helped him to more natural position for him but you know focusing on Harrison when you've got a guy who can play uh, both positions, right? Both Mike and mm-hmm. Will, but I guess you know Vines is probably playing a little bit more than a little bit more at Mike. Um, with his experience, with his ability to get everyone around him set up and in the right place, um, he was still making plays for himself, as well as setting up other people to make plays yeah. with just his knowledge. Uh, that's gonna, and, and then you're not playing well, and you're maybe doing some things off the field that causes some concern. It's gonna be hard to keep those snaps. Yeah, and and when there's that worst snaps to do a lot, he he didn't get them. One of the things about Bynes' play that that really sparked Queen, I think, is Queen just never really seemed to trust his own reads. Uh, he, he has some other physicality issues that I think also play into this, but works extremely well off Bynes's reads. And yeah. Bynes has great play speed, despite the fact that that he you know ran a four eight forty a decade ago, as I always say. Uh, you know, is is a that really helped Queen to be the trailing man to the football uh, in those situations. But of course, that meant, and with Queen's uptick in play that happened, you know, midseason for for a number of weeks there, um, Harrison was out of a job on the weak side too, where all of his, well, not all, but a lot of his previous play had occurred. 
Yeah, you know what it reminded me of? Uh, this is a different situation because we're talking about two players versus one player, but it really reminded me of that year with CJ and Peanut and Kenny Young, the, the good yep. that they had when CJ was yep. before he left. They were able to play off of CJ, and it allowed mm-hmm. those guys to do, you know, very defined things. It's a great right? point. Go hit this gap. Go do this, go do that. And those guys played really well in those very defined things that they were being asked to do. Now, when they had to read more broadly and diagnose, uh, you know, in terms of a bigger picture of what the offense was presenting and doing, they struggled. We saw that the next season. They struggled mightily with doing that. So everybody can't do that. One thing I've always wondered about Patrick Queen, I would love, I mean, this would almost be like some kind of sci-fi thing. I don't know if you can even actually do this, but if there was some way to put some kind of sensor on his eyes and monitor where his eyes are, because I bet they're going all over the place, right? Instead of being really Mm -hmm. focused on maybe uh, one or two or three keys, sometimes they talk about the triangle, right? The running back Mm -hmm. center and the guard to your side. Uh, I, I, bet, I bet almost any amount of money when he's kind of out there and it looks like he's out of position, his eyes are going all over the place and he's just right. seeing too much, right? Lou Tepper used to talk about that. He'd say, look, see a little, see a lot, see a lot, see nothing. That's what he used to tell the <laughs> backers all the time. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great, great way to say it. And, and I, I'm not sure because I think for quarterbacks, they, they kind of use a different uh, method to initially acquire the field, at least before you go into a read progression, you know, you kind of want to treat the whole field like an easy eye puzzle and, you know, um, broaden your focus as much as possible. See how that field is developing and see if you can, you can detect how those coverages do it and then go through your read progressions. It's, we're only talking about a second here that you have to, you know, to, to, to change from A to B here. But I, I would think if you're really looking for a lot of keys, that might be useful to a linebacker. So it's interesting to hear this linebacker's coach say, see a lot, see nothing. Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, you know, because, I, you know, there are a lot of keys to read between what offensive linemen are doing, how they're, you know, where their helmets are relative to the, to the, to the defensive linemen, you know, which gap is going to be then open, how it looks like the fullback setting up, is the quarterback really going to hand off the ball? And I, I mean, you got a lot to read. Uh it's uh, that's, it becomes paralysis by analysis because you're reading yeah. too much and you can't react to any one thing in the way that yeah. you need to. Yeah. No, that's good. That's a great thought. I, I, you know, certainly not something I talked, I thought about. How about, uh, how about some goals for Malik Harrison for this year? Well, I mean, man, if you can just kind of get back in the good graces, I imagine the coaching staff would be the first place that I would want to start. Hey coach, can we kind of just come in with a clean slate on this thing? Look, I accept, everything uh, that happened last year and I'm going to do everything in my power not to put myself in those positions again. And in terms of on the field with the team, um, you're going to, you're going to get the guy that you thought you were getting when you drafted, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go back out there. I'm going to compete every day. I'll do whatever you ask me to do, whether it's linebacker, whether it's outside linebacker, special teams, obviously, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just come in with that kind of really positive attitude, just put your nose to the grindstone and just work and see, see where things go. You know, um, none of this is guaranteed. You don't know how this is going to play out. They obviously, you know, signed a couple of undrafted um, inside linebackers or, or guys who can play a variety of linebacker mm-hmm. spots. So who knows? But I think with him, with his physical profile and with his draft pedigree, um, you know, you just probably got a little bit of an advantage, I would hope. But it all depends on that relationship with the coaching staff. But come in with that attitude. I think you give yourself a shot. So you're three for him. So he he's he's getting close to the bubble. He's probably not there. Tyree Phillips is a third round draft pick. Also, same draft. Um, you know, he's in some danger. Not he pro- both of them probably end up making the team. But if there if there is a UDFA linebacker, it's an opportunity to reset the clock. And you got to look at that as sunk cost. 
uh, they did not tolerate Tim Williams for the entire four years. So, uh, you know, it's it, it, Harbaugh has a record of getting rid of some guys who who he, he gets uh, who've been a pain in the ass for him. You know, as as he's as he's going through. Now, I, I I'm not sure. I'm, I'm probably overstating how Malik has been a pain in the ass. I really don't know him as a practice player. What he does, he plays special teams, so you know that's an extra role. One thing I would like to see is that they to kind of focus his positional defensive positional role this year. So he's always going to have that special team role. There's extra meetings for that. But but, but if he's going to play weak side, let's play weak side. If he's going to play at the mic and they're really going to make an effort to have him be the guy who will jump in for binds if anything happens, then that's fine too. But having one role is probably a good thing. I do see this team doing a ton of platooning at both linebacker spots. So I think this is an opportunity for, to have a year where the role at either spot is, is kind of narrowly defined and he can really learn those positional skills that he needs to to become an effective player. And what do you think about this idea of him playing either one of the outside linebacker positions? I know why people think about it, because you look at him physically, uh-huh. look at his body type, and you say he's 6'5", 250, 245, 250-ish. So physically, he looks like a guy who can do it. And he's done some of it, even for the Ravens. Mm-hmm. He did some at Ohio State. He's done a little bit for the Ravens. But, you know. Now, just to be clear, I, we're talking about like two or four snaps where he's played outside linebacker yeah, in his Ravens experience. Yeah, it's very bit. limited. Yeah. <laughs> Literally yeah. a little bit. Um, but, I, you know, you hear this narrative that people think, well, maybe he can do a little bit more of that. Uh, what do you think about that? Um, I, I'm I'm opposed to it. I, I think I think, first of all, I think all of it risks him developmentally. I think the Ravens greater need is to develop an inside linebacker who can actually play as opposed to another outside linebacker where they have some choices. I mean, Dalen Hayes is a terrific, you know, opportunity for development that I really hope the Ravens take. And then they've, you know, they presumably they're going to get Justin Houston back. We're all assuming that at this point, we want to see what OA can do as a Sam this year as well. I think that's important to layer on somebody who's earned, you know, the opportunity, additional types of opportunities and responsibilities. I'm just not there with Harrison. I think you run the same risk that you had with Correa that, that he would be less effective because of the multi-positional thing. Uh, it's just some players it works for and some players it doesn't. And, and you know, I don't think it's worked for Tyree Phillips either. I think he'd have been better to have one position that he was focusing on from the very beginning and, and he'd, he'd do better in that regard. And outside linebacker, inside linebacker, very, very different positions. I mean, don't, don't kid yourself that because they both have the words line and backer in there that they're, that they're significant, that they're similar at all. No, we've been down this road with Correa. That's a great name, yeah. Kamalaka. And it's a great name to bring back. That uh, that did not go well. Yeah. All right. How about another goal for Harrison this year? Oh man, I I'd like to see him get back in there and, and become a regular part of the rotation at inside linebacker, like you said. Whether it's whether it's Mike or Will, um, I, I don't lean strongly, you know, one way or the other. But I just like to see him have kind of a regular presence in there in, in terms of like a great, I know we're not at that point, but for me, I'd like, Hey, if you can take over that role, mm-hmm. if you can take over that role where, okay, yeah, they resigned Bynes for another year, but maybe if Bynes kind of recedes more into almost a, an on the roster coaching role, because you're playing mm-hmm. so well next to Patrick queen that they can keep you out there for the majority of the snaps. Uh, I'd love to see that. I mean, that would, that would be awesome if he could get there. Yeah, I, I, I would too. I mean, that obviously do it. He's really got a lot of specific, Things on the football field he needs to improve before you get there, though. I mean, his play speed needs to improve. His recognition needs to improve. I mean, these are a lot of the same things that are, that are frankly, are the bugaboos of Patrick Queen. His block shedding needs to improve. His tackling needs to improve. And he also needs to do something to recognize what's going on 
uh, as a coverage guy in terms of what's going on between level two and level three, whether that means he's just a lane impeder, uh, you know, he's only really a good contributor in zone defense, whether it means, you know, he just comes up and hits somebody who's on a shallow crossing route. He knows to do that. I, I, I'd love for him to make some contribution as a, as a pass defender, but honestly, it's just, there, there are a lot of things. And I think right now he needs a focused role to have any hope of really, I think let me put it this way from my outsider position, it looks like a focused role would help would give him the best chance to solve some of these problems for the position he's, he's playing. Yeah. And I'm hoping Mike McDonald can provide that for him. Um, I did a bunch of reading on him a couple of months ago, just any article I could find about what people were saying about him in Michigan was players were saying other coaches, whoever. Uh, and one thing I can't remember was a, it was a player. Uh, I don't remember who said it, but he said that one thing that he he really does, maybe it wasn't a player because a player wouldn't talk like this, but somebody said one of the things that McDonald did really well was he found as many entry points to playing time for players as possible. Mm-hmm. So that defined role that you're talking about, I kind of read in between the lines when they said entry points, but that defined role, that's how I took that. It's like, okay, he's going to find ways to get guys on the field. And maybe that means you can do one, maybe two things. You do those mm-hmm. things really, really well. And I'm going to find a way in packages for you to do those one or two things just so you can get on the field. Well, I, you know me as a believer in very specialized defense uh, who loves that notion of platooning it inside linebacker at both spots as needed. would take the take the role of green dot away from either of those positions that I, I'm going to love that kind of thing. So I hear that. I'm, I'm all kinds of thumbs up on McDonald, by the way. That's a great potential show. I love to love to pick your brain on that for about a, a half an hour that becomes an hour of you and me talking about about uh, what you know about Mike McDonald in Michigan. It sounds like okay. people would be very interested in that. Okay, sure. How, how about another uh, how about another uh, goal here? I've got uh, uh, plays disciplined positional football, both run and pass. Yeah, you get an argument from me there. I mean, that would uh, <laughs> all these things about you know uh, fine roles and, and more playing time. If he does that, if he can do those things, then you're going to have those opportunities, right? If you can demonstrate that you sure. can do that consistently, uh, then you're going to have those opportunities. And I think it, it's sort of self fulfilling. I think one thing can feed the other. If you have that more defined role, that can help you become more disciplined. Oh yes, in those very areas. sure. Right. Yeah. And then as you gain that discipline in those specific areas, maybe they give you one more thing. All right. Next week, we're going to give you this one other thing. And then they give you a couple, you know, a game or two to kind of see if you can handle that. And you show you can handle that. So it can grow that discipline in those other areas. But it's it's almost like, you know, walking before you crawl, uh, crawl, excuse the other way around, crawling before you walk, give you, you know, just little bits at a time to kind of help you grow in those areas. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I always love layered responsibilities, just like what you're discussing here. I think that's a good thing. Uh, my next thing on the list was develop the ability to know when to gamble. So first of all, I have him playing disciplined positional football and then knowing when to gamble. Obviously, the, the, the gambling usually comes second. But but I will say this, in watching college tape of inside linebackers, this draft in particular, I became really impressed with a number of guys. Leo Chanel was among them. There's lots of reasons to be impressed with him as a player, but but he plays great positional football. Jermaine Johnson, I, I he he you know waited to get drafted in this in, into the mid twenties, but he's a guy who I thought played really good positional football. A, a particular game I watched against Notre Dame, uh, of just you know knowing where he was supposed to be and and playing with the other defenders on the field, and that'd be something great for Harrison if he could do it. Yeah, and that I think you see that you know some of that is is going to be instinctive. I mean, I know 
people mm-hmm. kind of don't like that because it's not something you can, you know, really tangibly quantify. Some of that I think is just instinctive. We talked about that with Mark Andrews and Lamar, some of that you just have. But then I think another part of it comes from your understanding of the defense, right? And we've heard Marlon Humphrey talk about that with Mike McDonald, how he came in and, you know, the early part of the, the season before they really got on the field, he was explaining to them why he made certain calls. Right. Okay. We're in this group of calls. Let's say we're in our cover two calls, our, you know, our cover two, cover four calls. Why do we make these calls in these situations? Not just here's the individual call. You play this, you play that. It was a big Mm -hmm. picture of here's why I call that in these situations so that the players could have that big picture understanding of, and I have to give credit to Denard Melton. I know you've had Denard on the show, Mm -hmm. Uh, but Denard mentioned what that does for players. He says, now that gives you more opportunities to gamble. Because right. now you understand the concept and you know not only where you're supposed to be on an individual call, you also can more quickly recognize, hey, when A happens, I know I'm supposed to go here. But when B happens, because I understand why we're making this call in this situation, I can go and jump that route. Yeah. Even that's not my play because I <laughs> understand where the other players on the defense are going to be. That's a really, really fascinating point there. And I'll say this, that um, there's going to be a set of players that that really appeals to. I bet that appeals to Kyle Hamilton, to Marlon Humphrey, to to any number of the safeties probably that they might have, including guys who play strong safety and, you know, want to know about that. It may not appeal to a defensive lineman in the same way because he's making a more limited set of reads. I just went to an event where where, uh, Tony Siragusa was on stage talking about the Super Bowl 35 win. And he got absolutely trashed. It was it was basically a night of Siragusa and Sharp making a lot of jokes, telling a lot of old stories about things, and you know him being angry with Phil Simms. Great, great stuff. It was, it was really fun to watch. But but he got trashed by the defensive coaches, and there were two of them there, Del Rio and Lewis, for not really knowing the playbook. He knew his own responsibilities, but he didn't really know the playbook. <laughs> and, and, I, I, I need to know about what's going on behind me. I don't need to know yeah. that. There you go. So, you know, it's, it's like, you know, how am I going to use that to gamble? And there's other players who probably, you know, really want to, you know, it's just too broad for them to take in. I mean, they're, they're, they're struggling to learn their own responsibilities uh, within a package. But then there's other players, you know, who, who the game of football is only so complicated, as Brian Billick used to say. And, and, you know, yeah, this is another layer to add on to that. And I think, you know, we saw Ray Lewis get there in, in his career and really be a guy who who understood that concept and and uh uh you know how he could it, it it made him you know impact plays in the passing lanes the way that a lot of other inside linebackers couldn't even after he lost a, a lot of his uh you know speed and uh, mobility yeah and i think they've got you mentioned some of those guys and i think they've got guys who came to the team that way marcus peters this is when we when i heard mm-hmm. that that was the first guy that i thought of. i'm like he already plays that way yeah. <laughs> so he might not even need anymore he might have enough no. of that already but you you allow other people around him to play the way that he plays now it's like a cascading effect of the ability right. to create more turnovers yeah I, i'm so excited about the ravens ability to create turnovers this year I, I i can't even say but let's go to malik harrison and what would be a good and great year for him if that's okay with you mike absolutely you lead the way all right so we'll start with good um i i say starting by returning the good graces of the coaches with uh with work ethic get regular game day activations be available as a two down inside linebacker mike or will who could play rotationally. Uh, and even if he doesn't see the field regularly in 2022, uh, prove to the coaches that he's a player for the 2023 plan. So that's a big ask if he doesn't really see the field because he'll be entering year four. Um, there's a lot of uh, 
desire to cut that guy entering year four because you get a chance to reset the clock with a rookie if you've got one. Uh, so, you know, whether they, whether they would draft somebody or whether they would, uh, you know, have a UDFA that they liked. It would be a very uh, humbling situation to be in, but you literally would have to just go out there and just play your you-know-what-off on special mm-hmm. teams every single snap. I mean, just like your life depends on it because your football mm-hmm. life in some ways kind of might depend, does depend on it. Yeah. 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 I mean, he'll, his next his next station is going to be some team that can accept who he is, probably has a problem at inside linebacker, thinks he's a chance, but he's not even guaranteed a roster spot there if he if he's cut. Uh, you know, he'll after after his fourth year, going to the fifth year, he's going to be making a vet men's salary. He's going to have to he's going to have to try and make a team, and no guarantees. Nope. I, I look. I always hold people to the co-cap standard on special teams. He knew what he was. Anthony Levine knew what he was, mm-hmm. and he knew kind of what he was going to be on the team. And you know, obviously, you know, he got some more opportunities to play defensive snaps for a couple of years there, and and, and played really well. Uh, but I think he always mm-hmm. knew kind of what his value to the team was, and so. There was never any drop in effort because, oh, I should be playing more defensive snaps. I showed what I can do. No, no. This is what it's going to be. And they're never going to have a reason to say, hey, we can't keep this guy around anymore. Because, look, we had him in the special teams role, and now he's not even giving great effort there. No, he never gave them a reason to do that until, you know, obviously I think injuries and time, you know, catches up to everybody. But when he was healthy and kind of in his prime, that's the standard. You've got to play that way and say, look, if it does, if it just doesn't work out and they decide to move on contractual reasons, whatever, then that's what it is. But it won't because of any it won't be because of anything that I put on tape. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it, Levine's end came finally because I think the Ravens have too many guys that contribute um, defensively in Stone and Jefferson added to the, you know, the big three in addition. And, you know, they're just they're unfortunately, there just isn't room for him. And, and I'm, I am so happy they've got a place for him within the organization. He's the guy you want to keep around that attitude that, you know, I want him out there on the field, whether his job is scouting or whatever it might be. But, but if I want him out there on the field, talking to young players and, and, and instilling that attitude in them, by the way, I, you know, it, it's kind of a given by most people that Tony Jefferson is going to take over that special teams captaincy role. Do you think that also makes him the inside, the personal protector on, on the punt team? I think it could. The, the reason I hesitate is I don't I'd have to I'd have to dig into this to look. Obviously, he's played special teams uh, throughout his career. Various, mm-hmm. you know, percentages. Has he ever played that position? Has he ever played? I that mean, game? nobody has on the Ravens other than Levine forever. So that's yeah. the problem is that, you know, you, the opportunity doesn't come until it comes. Yeah. And then when it true. does, you better know what you're doing and, and better be able to align. So people he, does, properly. he does seem like the logical guy to do. That. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'll, I'll go. Let's go back to Harrison here for a great year. Plays well when called upon at the micro will and the quality of his play as opposed to injury. That's an important distinction I'm making demands additional playing time. So he carves out a role that secures his 2023 roster position with defense alone, not even considering his special teams contributions. Yeah, because the injury part, the injury part of that, that's like life preserver, right? Okay, we're mm-hmm. throwing you in there because we got nobody else, right? right. You're, we, you, you're the best next option. And then when you're no longer the best next option, then you're back on the, on the sideline standing next to me. Um, yeah. You don't want that, right? You don't want that to be the reason. You want it to be, as you said, because you've earned it through playing time. Hey, we've got some other options that are healthy, but mm-hmm. quite frankly, you're playing and practicing more consistently than they are. So we're going to keep yeah. you in there. Yeah, and it's it's it, on this team, which has a lot of options that they have considered ahead of Malik Harrison in the past, It's it's important that, that he really earn it over players like Welch and whatnot. But even just doing that 
is is not enough in my opinion to secure a 2023 roster position. If he was the if he was the best remaining choice in case of injury, uh he's still he's still in trouble next year uh entering year 4. Agreed. All right, Michael, just always a world of fun talking football with you my friend. I I, I want to do more of this. I want to see if we can uh, you know get something going on a more regular basis if 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 that's possible, but certainly we'll always have you on as a guest whenever you'd like to spend time with us. Tell folks where they can read your work. Ah, well, let's see. Um, you can always, you know, interact with me on Twitter at Abukari. That's at A-B-U-K-A-R-I. Um, do a couple other podcasts slash YouTube shows, uh, Deep Cover Podcast. You can just search it on YouTube. You'll find it there or any of your podcast apps that you like to listen to. Uh, and the Fire Zone Show with Denar Melton, who I mentioned a little while ago. Um, we just did a show a week or two ago with... Um, Coach DC, uh, his, his first name is Derek. I don't know his last name. Yeah. Uh, but he goes by, uh, it's like all underscore 22. Yeah, we had him on. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we had him on and we looked at the um, Michigan-Georgia game. We looked at the Orange Bowl game mm-hmm. just from a defensive perspective, just to kind of, I do what I always do when we have guests on that show. I mean, Denard is a former player and coach. DC is a former coach. I just sit back and I drive the film and I let those guys talk about what they see and kind of conceptually why they think certain things are happening. Um, so that was, uh, something we did last week, I think. And that's still out there on YouTube. You can just search the fire zone show channel and you'll, that'll probably be, um, the most recent video. So that's it. And then, you know, of course I'll still be doing, you know, a variety of different charting projects, which as you know, never really see the light of day. I just do it. And people are like, why are you doing this? If you don't publish them anywhere, it's all for the pursuit of knowledge. That's it for, right. for, for gaining and understanding knowledge. So that's why I do it. Plus I love it. It's fun. I'll, I'll tell you what, Michael, it's, uh, you're a very impressive human in general, but the thing I'm probably most impressed by is how much of a, of a journey to self-improvement guy you have. And, and, you know, Michael's a contract lawyer and I don't, I don't think he comes from any sort of background like this. His first analysis, uh, you know, I, I, I got a chance to look at cause he, cause he brought it to me, but uh, I, I learned since that, you know, you're learning how to code in Java so you can do some of these things, uh, you know, Got up. So very impressive that you're you're doing that. I, I at my age, learning new things gets more and more difficult. Uh, you know, as as we go. So continuing with the same charting, that's one thing. But I'm yeah. impressed. It hasn't been easy. I, I've gotten some help from some other people. Uh, you, you know, Yoshi2052 on Twitter. He's mm-hmm. much more comfortable in terms of programming and stuff like that. And uh, he's like, look, you got to treat it the same way you treat your charting. You can't do it for a couple of days a week and then take two weeks off. It doesn't work that way. You got to do it consistently. You don't have to do it for large chunks of time. You don't have to do it for five, six hours a day. Maybe you do an hour, but you got to do it every day uh, mm-hmm. to, to really see improvement and build upon what you're doing. And he knows I've yet to like really commit to doing that. So <laughs> I still, I still got to right. do that. All right. Other folks out there, if you're looking to do a film study short, I this is the time of year I love to have the microphone open. I'd like to talk to you as many as many people as possible, meet some new friends. And uh, this is uh, send me DMs are open on Twitter. Send me a narrow top if you can, something we discuss in about 25, 30 minutes. If it goes long, that's always okay. We don't have any time constraints on this show. Uh, but love to hear from you. I'll get back to you very quickly. Michael, thanks again for coming on. Sure. Thanks for having me, Ken. Always a good time. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.